Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 253. To upgrade or not upgrade? That is the question, is it not, right? Have you ever been in a scenario in which you've been looking at what to book for your cruise and you realize that there's an option to spend a little bit more, maybe a lot more, and get a lot more for your room? And whether or not it makes sense to do so, that's a tough question. And this week, we're going to talk about those kind of scenarios and debate the virtues of upgrading or not. Here we go. At some point in planning a Royal Caribbean cruise, you may reach a proverbial crossroad where which stateroom to book becomes a more complex decision than you've experienced in the past. Upgrading yourself to the next category stateroom can be very tempting, and inevitably, you may be wondering, is it worth it to spend that money? Back in episode 210 of this podcast, we went through this exercise of debating what was worthwhile, and we had so much fun with it. I thought we'd come back with a few more ideas on this week's episode. And helping me figure out what is and what's not worth it is a good friend of mine that evidently loves to watch me sail away from his hometown of Tampa rather than sail with me. He is, of course, everyone's favorite blogger, bandana pusher, and taco enthusiast, Mr. Michael Poole. Welcome back, Michael. Hey, Matt. I love that intro. Man, I thought it had been a couple days since you jabbed me coming on that cruise with you, but um, nevertheless, excited to be here, and this is such a great topic. I'm glad we're revisiting it. Uh, Just for the record, I've offered Michael not one, but two different sailings out of his hometown on small ships that he loves to sail with me, and he ends up picking bigger ships because, after all, Michael's a big ship kind of guy. That is a fact. I did pick a larger ship, but... (laughs) All right, Michael. Um, Actually, we're going to start off with... I have a few examples, but uh, actually you have one that you're bringing to the table, and I thought we would start off with yours uh, example here. Why don't you introduce to us... uh, Basically, in all of this, I should explain if you haven't listened to the other episode... We're going to give you basically some some scenarios that people have run across. This is these are real scenarios from people that have posted on the internet about cabin upgrades, or is it worth it to upgrade from this to that? Spend this much money to get to that, and some there's just some backstory to it as well to help us, you know, gauge what would be worthwhile or not. So Michael's going to give us an example of an upcoming cruise he has where there's an option to upgrade, and we'll talk about whether we think it's worthwhile. So Michael, take it away. All right, sounds good. So I've got a three-night cruise on Mariner of the Seas this September, and I'm booked in one of those solo cabins, so it's designed for one one passenger with a twin bed. I was looking at some other options of maybe upgrading to a standard inside cabin, which the benefits would be, you know, a normal-sized cabin. You get a full, you know, the, the double beds, and, of course, I would get the double points, the the price to upgrade currently is around two hundred and seventy dollars more than I'm currently paying, which currently I'm around a hundred bucks a day. So I've got a killer rate, but the double points sure would be nice. So I keep thinking about it, going back and forth. So what do you think you would do, Matt? See, this is an interesting scenario. If you were our good friend Brandon, who is still pre gold. Then I would say it'd be totally worthwhile for the, those crown and anchor points. But I do know, Michael, that you are diamond plus. And I don't. You may have a different opinion than I do. I my opinion is as as a, as a fellow Diamond Plus person, I can say now, I I'm just not, I don't care anymore about the points because Pinnacle is so far away that it doesn't even like. I mean, well, I eventually are there maybe, but it's not something I'm even going to concern myself with. Nor am I going to going to really uh, you know go to the point of 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 worrying about it. Um, so really, this comes down to to me. The larger bed and larger room, you're absolutely right. There's a huge amount of living space. That's that's, And it's nice to have that. I don't care what room you're in. Having that space is nice, certainly if it makes sense. 
The issue for me, Michael, uh, is that it's not a lot of money, actually. Certainly, if this were on a seven-night cruise, I wouldn't even bat an eye at it. But you're on a three-night cruise. You're almost doubling your the cost of your cruise. It's not quite there, but it's, let's say, I don't know, what would you say, 40% of what you're paying? 30%? Yeah, but it's, like it's close to it, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know how you cruise. You cruise solo, Michael. It is party in the USA, Miley Cyrus style, and it's just it's back to the room for sleeping and Periscope on the first day, and that's it. So I don't, uh, I I don't know that it would. It's nice to be able to pass out in a room with a lot more space, but I'm not sure that it's. Um, I don't know that it's it's worthwhile. And to put it also in one, see, this is how good friends we are. I already know Michael. Michael, that's like your drink package right there. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking, Matt. I'm like, wait a minute. That's like my drink package and gratuities on the cruise. Yeah. So I'm leaning towards no. Um, if, but if it does come down to the $200 range, I'm, I think I might pull the trigger. And I should have mentioned this. You know, I, I'm trying to get to 340 crown and anchor points so that when I go solo, it's 150% fair. So once I get past that, the crown and anchor points, like you said, virtually mean nothing to me. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. And maybe, you know, you, you play the... The nice thing is that, of course, you can, you know, watch the price, and if it does drop a little bit more, you're good, and if not, you'll still have a great time, and it's nothing wrong with what you got booked, so I certainly want to blame you there. All right, let's go to our next option, and this is... Uh, this person wrote, Our family of four is booked in an interior room on Deck 9 of Liberty of the Seas, and we have the option to upgrade to an ocean view for $150. I think there may be a little more space, but we're, we'll have to go on Deck 2. We've de- uh, we're, we're thinking of declining it since we're going to spend most of our time out of our room purposely booking high decks so we can take the stairs with our kids to have faster access to the pools and food. We didn't want to wait for the elevator all the time. So this is interesting, Michael, because the amount of money is negligible. 150 bucks is nothing. I don't care. You know, Even though it's, I, it's a seven-night cruise on Liberty of the Seas, I'm not sure if it's per person or if it's just total. But, I mean, that's a, it's a really not a much to upgrade. And certainly, like you said earlier in your example, you know, you go from an interior to ocean view. Not only are you going to have some natural light coming in the room, but you're also going to have a lot more living space. But the Deck 2 thing, that's interesting. What do you think about that, Michael? Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily mind Deck 2. I think a lot of people kind of steer away from the lower decks because they're scared of motion or whatever it can be. I've sailed on Deck 2 many times, and I find the deck to be very quiet. There's not a lot of stuff going on. There's not a lot of foot traffic. And when you hit the elevator, I know uh, the person mentioned a comment about the elevator. When you're on deck two, 99% of the time when the elevator comes, it's empty. So you're Mm -hmm. not getting, you know, if you're on deck seven and you hit up, you're getting the people from four, five, six below you. So that's another thing that I found every time I stay on deck two, the elevator is always empty. So for me on this scenario, I'm absolutely taking the upgrade. I think that's a really good point. You sold me. Up until what you said, I was going to say you were wrong, but you're right. I think you're – that's a really good point. It's, I mean, it's you know nothing to say about exercise and getting some extra steps in, but you're absolutely right. I mean, when you're on deck two, you're right. I mean, and not only that, especially it's nice when you're going into ports and you don't have to worry about the elevator coming back. That's huge because when you're hot and sweaty, I just want to get back to my room and take a shower and not have to worry about – you know, getting in the sweaty elevator that has no air conditioning because everyone it's been going so often. If you've been on a cruise, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so, uh, I, all right, I I think you're right. Um, so, for the record, Matt just said I was right. Okay, that's right. Well, you know, broken clocks are right <laughs> twice a day. <laughs> next theme, uh, next uh, scenario, I should say. 
I'm taking a cruise with my mother on Serenade of the Seas out of Boston, Bermuda in October. My mother is not very mobile, so this cruise will be a very lazy one for both of us. I got a great rate on a junior suite, but I'm tempted to upgrade to a grand suite. My mother is never cruising a suite. We usually do balconies. Her favorite part of the cruise is to sit on a balcony with her coffee and book. I would love to surprise her with a better cabin, but I'm not sure if it's worth it. I've done some reading and confused about the suite perks. The biggest issue is currently I'm paying $1,500 total, including insurance, taxes, and tips, and it would cost an additional $1,300 to upgrade. It almost doubles my costs. I'm torn. Does anyone have any advice? Mm. So junior suite to grand suite for $1,300 more. This is on Serenade of the Seas, so it's not the Royal Suite class like you're going to get on, say, the Oasis class or the Quantum class, but... Uh, you're going to a when you're going from a junior suite to a grand suite. When you reach grand suite, you get the full suite benefits, as opposed to the junior suite, which only has some suite benefits. But it's not really a true suite. It's more like the glorified, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, glorified balcony room. Um, Thirteen hundred dollars, and this is the issue. This kind of almost goes back to like what I was saying earlier about your scenario, Michael. You know, you were you're we're talking about almost doubling the the cost of your cruise. But there's a couple things to keep in mind that, that stand out to me, Michael, and I'm not sure what you think about. Number one, this is a longer sailing. This is a, I mean, this is Boston, Bermuda, so this is at least, they didn't say how many nights it is, but it's got to be at least five. I'm thinking it's closer to seven, quite honestly. So there's that. Number two, obviously they mentioned they're not going to be spending a whole lot of time off the ship anyway. And one of the nice things if you do have sweet access is the ability to take advantage of those perks, right? Access to the concierge lounge, the reserve shows. I mean, you're going to be able to truly take advantage more of the onboard suite benefits than obviously if you were on a more port intensive itinerary or you're just planning on spending more time off there. And that's certainly nice. And and I'll tell you this, as we've both been to the concierge lounge, it's a nice perk to have the complimentary beverages at night, you know, the hors d'oeuvres, the the level of service you get from the concierge themselves in terms of making it easier on you. I I'm kinda leaning towards doing, especially if this is a never gone to a suite before and she wants to surprise her mom i think it's a pretty decent idea what do you think michael well so they mentioned something about the mom not being very mobile and that kind of stood out to me where maybe they would enjoy the the larger space you know i don't know if she has a scooter or whatever the scenario is but you know if you have a grand suite there's gonna be plenty of room to have that in the cabin um you know if they want to take advantage of the complimentary drinks in the lounge you know that there's a price kind of built in with that factor and you know if this person doesn't feel like they're going to cruise with their mom you know in the near future or this is kind of this is the one and done then i think when you when you kind of stack those together i think you might need to pull the trigger on this one and and surprise mom and get get the grand suite yeah i think so and i think it's for the surprise factor and and also they haven't done it before so i think that makes sense all right, let's go to uh, another junior suite question. Evidently, I think, by the way, I think a lot of people always struggle with to. It's like junior suite is like that is that uh, hump in the decision factor tree where it seems like there's a lot of uh, indecision about that. But here we go. Here's another one. Uh, right now, we're looking at two different rooms. The first is room nine three nine zero, which is an aft balcony, which would cost around two thousand two hundred dollars plus one seventy five onboard credit. Room two is a junior suite on the hump for about twenty eight hundred dollars plus two hundred dollars onboard credit. So again. The first room was 2200 which I believe was a regular – it was an aft balcony. And the second one is a junior suite on the hump of the ship for $2,800, about $600 more, and you get about $25 extra onboard credit. They add, we've had a balcony cabin on the hump before and really enjoyed it due to the proximity to everything. I've never had an aft balcony before, but it seems like people really love them. I don't really know if a junior suite is worth the additional $600, and can you beat the views out of the back of the ship? 
What do you guys think? So, Michael, six hundred dollars for the junior suite, but you're giving up that aft balcony. So for me, six hundred dollars is kind of my usual threshold on a seven day cruise to pull the trigger. I'm like, yep, get the junior suite, absolutely. Now, having just done my first aft balcony on Brilliance in March, I mean, I absolutely loved it. Uh, like Matt mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm not one to stay in my room very much at all. But when I had the aft balcony, I would just hang out there for hours. Like I would go get a drink and bring it back and just hang out on my balcony. And, I, and I've never been that type of, kind of person. Like I don't sit in my room. Like sometimes it gives me anxiety. Like I'm missing out on live music or something. But for me in this scenario, I'm like save the 600 bucks. Try your first aft balcony. I have a feeling Matt is going to disagree. But trust me, get the aft balcony. No, I actually I'm going to agree with you only because – uh, what's the, Michael, what's the chief benefit of an aft balcony, generally speaking, across the fleet? Well, the, the balcony, the, the views. Is- right, right. And the balcony itself is larger, typically, right. than a standard balcony. So what are you really getting with the junior suite that you're not getting with the aft balcony? Certainly not for $600. I mean, the balcony size is going to be negligible difference. Maybe it's a little bit larger still in the junior suite. But, you know, it's not like you have a standard balcony on the in that $2,200 room. And... You know, then you're really just paying for some, you know, like a, a bathtub and a walk-in closet, which I don't think is worthwhile. And you know what, Michael, you're right. Six hundred dollars is 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 a lot of money right there. So I kind of think, even though I think, I'll be honest with you, I think balcony, aft balconies in general, a little overrated. Uh, I do think, though, in this scenario, it's not worth moving up to the junior suite, not because it's any decision on the or any factor on the on the aft balcony but rather it's, i just don't think you're getting that much more for the room if this were a grand suite for 600 more yeah that's a whole different ball game but for this one no i think they're i think they're doing the right thing by staying in the room that they have that aft balcony the only thing i would say factors is maybe if they're borderline trying to rush to diamond or something and they need the double points so that's the only other factor that maybe they could think about when they make their decision absolutely um Next up, we have Balcony to Junior Suite. And here you go again. I <laughs> uh, just got an email from Royal Caribbean that if we want to upgrade rooms, trying to figure out if it's really worth the money. In this case, $500, and they're sailing on Anthem of the Seas. Hmm. I assume that's a, a seven night. I know sometimes they do five and nines, but I would assume it's a seven night. I, I think for $500, I, I think I would do it, Matt. Um you know, Anthem's a, a really nice new newer ship, so the suites are going to be nice. But five hundred dollars for two people for me, I think I think it's worth it. Yeah, that's like I think you said in the previous email, Michael. Your threshold was what six hundred dollars? You said. Yeah. Yeah, it's right on that on that borderline again. Five hundred dollars. I think also going to a junior suite, and this is something I was talking to Michael about uh, earlier when we were talking about his example, but the. When you have an upgrade option and you're going to a junior suite, which obviously one of the chief benefits of a junior suite is the the extra onboard, or sorry, not the onboard credit, the the double crown and anchor points, and the you know if you're on a lower level, if you're below diamond, that's I think way more valuable to get those double crown and anchor points than when you start to hit diamond, diamond plus, uh, because I just feel like the the incentive for uh, for getting more points level up. Is just such more, so much more difficult. A and B, you know, once you get a diamond, diamond plus, you've already gotten a lot of the core benefits to it. It's certainly nice if you're diamond to get a diamond plus, and you know, like Michael said, there are some tangible benefits to getting you know extra amenities for you know in your room when you get on board the ship, and the single supplement drops to 150. percent It's nice to have, no question about it. 
But I also think that this maybe depend again on what their crown and anchor level is. If they were, like I said, below diamond, I say this is, makes total sense to go for it. If nothing else, for the extra room and the double crown and anchor society points, that's really a big deal uh, in there. And I, I think the junior speaks a nice option on Anthem. So, yeah, I think I think I agree with you, Michael. I think they pull the trigger on this one. Sounds good. I was like, the only thing that sometimes for me when I'm looking at a scenario like this is, that, do I have another final payment coming up in two months? You know. For me, it seems like there's always a final payment, so that also plays a factor to me when I'm making these decisions. Absolutely. All right, I got a harder one for you to to wrap this up on, so uh, get your thinking caps on. This one is someone who's looking to book Symphony of the Seas, and they're having a hard time deciding which cabin to book. The concern is motion sickness, and this person writes, I often get sick on cars and planes, but the sea bands have helped where uh, we've tried them before on previous cruises. Uh, my first cruise was on Carnival in the Caribbean. We followed all the advice and booked a lower-level cabin in the middle. I took ginger capsules daily and wore my sea bands, and all was fine except for a few hours of extreme motion. So I'm looking into Symphony of the Seas and into an ocean view cabin, but those are all at the end, or at least what's left of them anyway. So I've narrowed down to two options. First one is a guaranteed room. We take a chance on it and let them choose our room. My fear is getting a room on the end. Will it make me sick? I've read it's as bad as the bigger. It's not as bad with the bigger ships, and Symphony of the Seas is going to be the biggest. But I'm not sure what the risk is with these kinds of rooms. People end up with using this option. Or number two is an interior Central Park view. This is about three hundred dollars more expensive total for the two of us, but it seems like it's a better way of getting a room midship. We really don't care about the view. We could take it or leave it. It would just be guarantee us a location. What do you think, Michael? So here's what I'm going to gonna suggest. Do the guarantee first. I've done the guarantee numerous times. I know Matt has as well. And it's never really worked out bad for me. And, and kind of one of the things that I don't think a lot of people know is when you're assigned a cabin, you can move your cabin within the same type of category. So, you know, if you get – I forget the new codes, but I know the old words like 8D, you can move to any one of those particular 8Ds on the ship. You know, it doesn't matter the location. So do that first. And if it doesn't play out where there's nothing available and you don't like the location, you can always pay the $300 more and pick the cabin you want right then and right there. That's a good point. Uh, There's two. The only issue I have with that strategy, it it makes sense. But, of course, you know, there's no A, you have to wait a certain amount of time for the cabin to be assigned. Usually it's pretty quick, but there's no guarantees, uh, no pun intended, that they're (laughs) – that of when they'll actually assign the room for you. Sometimes it takes a couple of weeks. Sometimes it takes a couple of days. It it just depends. And by that point, the price the price difference to the Central Park view may go up more than three hundred dollars, right? If they don't like what they got, I don't know. I the, the reason I would agree with you if this were like you or me, but this person is very concerned about motion sickness, which I'll be honest, I don't think is as nearly as a, a big deal. Like it's not as likely to happen. I think some people think it's going to happen. I think it's a it's certainly a common concern, but I don't know that it's as warranted as it is. But anyway, that's a whole other uh, topic that of soapbox I can get on some other day. But my point is, is that if you're of the opinion already that you know motion sickness or, or preventing motion sickness is really important to you, I feel like three hundred dollars is not a lot of money to pay for peace of mind. Like at the end of the day, you got to be happy with the room. And the last thing I would want is for somebody to go on a cruise with like the with the like oh gosh what's going to happen to me kind of thing. Like this is going to be awful. Like. Peace of mind is worthwhile, and, and we're not talking about a thousand dollars. I mean, three hundred bucks. You know, they already said they don't really care about the view necessarily. It's more just about the the room, and that seems to be the prevailing message I got from this from this particular post. So I kind of think they should go with the Central Park view, uh, just because it just assures them of what they want. There's no gambling involved, and yes, it costs a little more money, but again, 
if it helps them sleep at night and <laughs> not puke in the morning, then it's all good in my opinion as a uh, as the right strategy to to go with it. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you mention it like that, a peace of mind, you know, what you can't really put a price on a peace of mind. And if you're already investing X amount of dollars on the vacation, I guess in the grand scheme of things, $300 versus your peace of mind. I guess you sold me, Matt. Can I sell you on a cu- on a cruise to Cuba over July 4th week uh, with your one of your best friends? Can you really put a price on cruising with a fellow Royal Caribbean blogger? I'm just saying. <laughs> I look forward to waving waving goodbye to you. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I tried. All right. Well, of course, uh, thank you, Michael. And of course, you can find Michael's great work at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. He does live blogs, he writes reviews, and he does a lot of content on the blogs. So you can check that out over there. Michael, always a pleasure to have you on here, talking, debating, and inevitably winning at these uh, debates. <laughs> Sounds good, Matt. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's time to answer your listener emails. This is the part of the podcast where I dive into the ever, ever overflowing Royal Caribbean Blog podcast inbox and answer your emails right here. And if you want to send me your emails, you can always do so by sending an email to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Our first email comes to us from Mike, who writes, uh, Matt, we just went on Harmony of the Seas and wanted to share a review with you. This is the first cruise vacation I ever took with my family. We moved from Chicago to San Diego five years ago, so Florida is no longer the short plane ride it used to be. I have soon-to-be 16- and 14-year-old boys and a 12-year-old girl. My first cruise was on the SS Norway in the mid-80s. My fascination with the cruise with the world's largest cruise ship started there. I remember that ship actually had tenders that were required in every port due to the sheer size. My next cruise was on Sovereign of the Seas, which at the time had the largest title as well. The Viking Crown Lounge looked was the best. Then, when my wife and I got married in 2000, I convinced her to go on Voyager of the Seas for our honeymoon. At the time, again, the largest. And for our 10-year anniversary in 2010, well, it was time for Oasis of the Seas. And I loved that ship. So when I looked at finally taking the family, I looked no further than Harmony, as Symphony was coming to the U.S. not for another six months. In short, we had a phenomenal experience. My kids said it was one of their top vacations, with the big island of Hawaii being close second. Few thoughts. First, our cabin. We had, a, we had one of only seven staterooms on the Harmony that were classified as oversized family ocean view staterooms with a balcony. Five are on deck 11, and two are by the aqua theater slash rock climbing wall on deck 7. We were in room 11172, and it was a much bigger room than I expected. Two twin beds, a king-size bed, and a couch that pulls out into a trundle bed. The biggest problem was we only had one bathroom, but we managed. There was a lot of closet space and plenty of hangers. All of us had plenty of room for our clothes and enough under-the-bed space for seven pieces of luggage. In terms of food, back in the day, there was one place to eat, the main dining room, so all the best food came there. Baked Alaska was brought out on fire as the waiters walked around the dining hall. Ice sculptures were carved every night. Well, as you know, things have changed. While I saw especially dining take on a new life on Oasis, I see the momentum has only grown. Having said that, we opted for no dining packages and went with a 5.30 dining slot. We loved having this and getting to know our waiter and staff over the seven days. It also worked out well for the shows. One other comment on food, Sorrento's is great late at night, but there should be a corresponding ice cream parlor with this. Johnny Rockets closes at 10 p.m. and the frozen yogurt closes much earlier than that. As an ice cream junkie, I was really looking, wishing there was more late night. Entertainment was fantastic. From Greece to the fine line to 1887 to comedians to juggling headliners, it was really top-notch. The variety of entertainment is really an unbelievable part of value for me. The ship, 
I like big ships and I cannot lie. The variety of things they do, the neighborhoods, the aesthetics of Royal Caribbean ships, all top notch. As a fitness buff, I also love the fitness center. It was huge and really phenomenal facility. The running track on deck five is also great. Oasis class is my favorite. I would like to try the quantum class now that they're going to Alaska. Additionally, I'm very interested to see what they all will unveil with the icon class in 2022, as it is bigger than quantum, but smaller than Oasis. For excursions, we did kayak in in Labadee, Adventure Falls, river tubing in Jamaica, and snorkeling in Cozumel. Family loved the river river tubing the best. The guide was great and it was a lot of fun. My wife and I got Swedish massages as part of a couple price and it wasn't quite worth it for us doing them in the same room. Overall, it was a good experience, but both my wife and I were turned off at the sales pitch that happened after the massage to buy a bunch of spot products. For the internet, we got the Royal IQ package and got 90% of the time it worked well. It was good enough, but I didn't need to break out the walkie-talkies. However, we did not get Voom Internet. I would highly recommend all families go through internet internet detox while cruising. It was wonderful. It was truly ensured everyone was present at all times. It was hard for me to shut down work email for seven days, but it was a critical part of the phenomenal vacation. We also got the photo package. And while the $269 for the all-inclusive digital photo package caused sticker shock, when I analyzed it in my head, it was actually a good deal for us. My wife's parents were there with us as well. We got dressed up uh, for Formal Night and took advantage of the huge number of backdrops and opportunities for photos. If you were to go to Formal Night, Formal Photography Session, how much would it cost? We had 156 photos, and I think it was the best deal we ever got. There are really great uh, pictures on the ship and at the port. For the beverage package, it just wasn't worth it for us. Amongst the five of us, we spent $369 on drinks. I allowed my kids to get two soda packages, uh, or two sodas rather, during the ship during dinners. My wife and I got bottles of wine and champagne. One nice thing is there's no corkage fee when you want to spread a, spread a bottle of wine over a couple of nights. We had a we had a drink of the day and some on some occasions two of them. Fifty five dollars person per day was not worth it for us, and for the whole family is fine with us just going with water and iced tea. Overall, they were priceless memories. We were so excited we booked Symphony of the Seas for next spring break in the Eastern Caribbean. And those seven oversized rooms, only one was left. And while we were booking it next cruise, it was actually was put on hold by someone else, but thankfully released. We didn't get the same room, but we did get a room down the hall. To end this, one question that perhaps you can ask on the podcast. I've noticed quantum ships are heavily based, are home-based in Asia, Australia, and New Jersey. Do you think there's any chance Royal Caribbean will bring one down to Southern Florida? As I mentioned above, I was happy to see Ovation out of Seattle for the summer Alaska cruises. I'm a new listener, but really enjoying your podcast. Thank you again for making all these incredible resources available to us. All the best. Mike, thank you for the email, my friend. Great review. And I'll tell you that a lot of it... Certainly, I was agreeing with nodding my head, too. I don't think you really hit upon anything that I wanted to rant about. Um, the, the internet, I'll agree to disagree on that one. I get the internet. Obviously, my kids are also much younger than yours, so they're not quite of the age yet that, A, I would buy them an internet package, and, B, they're not they're not asking for one, you know? So it's not worthwhile in that re- in that regard. Um, obviously, I'm a bit of an outlier because, I, you know, when I'm on a real Caribbean cruise, I do a lot of blogging while I'm on board, so there's that. But even that aside... I don't see the internet necessarily as a disconnected option, no more so, I think, than just sitting there. If, if, if I'm reading a book, I know some people are going to disagree with me on this one, but if you're sitting there at the pool and you're reading a book the whole time, you're invested in that book. You're as you're as distracted from any conversation going on as you would be if I were on Facebook. Now, it's not the same thing. I just think that the internet gets a bad rap compared to you know, distracted doing something else. It's the... More of the same. Now, obviously, with your kids being older, perhaps it's a different issue. And, you know, if they had the internet, they wouldn't be as likely to go join you on certain activities and whatnot. That I can understand, and certainly that can make some sense. I just think that, uh, you know, again, agree to disagree, and I'll leave it at that. 
The photo package is really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because the, you know, that's a common question. You know, people want to know, is it worthwhile? And it really boils down to exactly what you did, Mike. You took advantage of the, the package offerings. You took the time to get the photos. And at 156 photos, you certainly came out ahead compared to any kind of other, you know, purchasing option there. And that's a lot of photos to enjoy. And is that's really the key. Just like the drink package, when it comes to the photo package, you got to make sure you take the time to get the benefits out of it for it to, quote-unquote, make some sense. Next, we have an email from Douglas. Who writes, Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for producing the Royal Green Blog podcast. I enjoyed your episode on Alaska Cruise with Sherry from CruiseTips.tv. Would you consider making a similar episode on the Mediterranean Cruise? I believe you've only done a few listener cruise reviews on the Medit and none since 2016. I also enjoyed the format of your discussion with Sherry. Both of you provided comprehensive insight on the Alaska tour experience. I'm an Emerald member in Royal Caribbean's Crown and Anchor Society with all my past cruising in the Caribbean. I'm scheduled to go on Vision of the Seas next September for 12 nights, sailing out of Barcelona and going to France, Nice, uh, Rome, Venice, and Florence in Italy, uh, Salerno, Naples, Croatia, and Montenegro. This is my first Mediterranean cruise, my first cruise longer than seven days. I would appreciate any tips you have for traveling to Europe, any cultural norms you should be aware of, and how to pack. Are shorts okay? Well, Douglas, thank you for the email. I think probably since you sent the email, you probably heard already. We did an, an episode a couple weeks ago with uh, my very good friend Colleen from Cruise Critic talking about what you need to know about taking a cruise to Europe. That is episode 248. I will post a link in our show notes at royalcreamblog.com with more information about that so you can check it out and really listen to it if you haven't already. I think we kind of hit upon the big things there that you have to really be aware of when cruising Europe. In terms of the shorts thing, I think the, and Colleen mentioned this, you know, there are some places you would be visiting in which what you wear could be a problem. If you're just going to the beach or you're going to visit, you know, uh, Roman ruins, that's totally fine. And I think you'll be seeing a lot of people wearing shorts, but certain religious spots require different dress codes, if you will. But other than that, I'm not aware of any other issues with what you wear, certainly wearing shorts and, and whatnot. And I think we talked about this also on that episode that you will find on board the ship that Europeans tend to dress up a bit more for the, you know, for formal line as an example than Americans do. Um, again, what other people wear doesn't necessarily pertain to what you do, right? It's that, you know, that old adage that your mother probably used to tell you, like, just because everybody else doesn't mean you have to do it as well, but it's something to be aware of. I think that it's still, you know, obviously the Med is a very warm climate, and I don't know that wearing shirts is a mistake, but again, what you're, depending on what you're doing in port may dictate, I think, a lot of what you're looking to do. So, Douglas, thank you for the email and the kind words there. Let's go to our next email, and we have an email from Lisa, who writes, um, I went on the Symphony of the Seas inaugural sailing, and my top tip would be use Wonderland Bar as your diamond lounge. We were happily surprised that you can get your three free diamond drinks in Wonderland, even without dinner reservations. So we used it most nights as it was a nicer place to sit than the Diamond Lounge. The Mad Hatter in there is fantastic. He thoroughly entertained us. We didn't manage to get around to all the restaurants and bars. We'll need to get back on something again soon. We did enjoy the following. Playmakers had great bar and snacks at very little cost. 150 Central Park was had fantastic food, even though they don't do the salt selection anymore. Slightly disappointed that they don't do the wine pairing tasting menu. We love that on Alar. However, we had the scallops, beef tenderloin, and peanut butter tart, which were all delicious. For Chops Grill, the same great food in Chops had to be the filet mignon, which was as fabulous as ever. No room for dessert, but they still did bring us out of selection and add a piece of the red velvet cake, which was delicious. Wonderland, we enjoyed the theatrical experience in Wonderland. The food was weird and wonderful, but it's the experience you go for, and the Mad Hatter was superb. 
Izumi, we didn't get round to eating here, but my brother-in-law did and said it was the best meal of his holiday. Uh, El Loco Fresh had lunch here one day and was a good place to grab a quick Mexican snack. Park FA, our favorite spot for breakfast. Winjamer only managed in here once, but it was very good. And for the main dining room, only managed here once, but it was also very good. Lovely setting. Hopefully, I will get my next cruise book soon. YOLO! Looking forward to catching you on Facebook. Lisa, thank you for the great email. And you, as you know, Lisa, I love talking food. So this is really, really great to hear. I love your tip for going to Wonderland. And if, uh, for what Lisa's alluding to, Wonderland is especially restaurant on Symphony of the Seas. They also have the similar setup on Harmony of the Seas. And when you walk into the restaurant, the, the seating for the restaurant is towards the back of the venue. But towards the front of the venue is the check-in podium on your left and a bar on your right. And that bar you can go to, like Lisa said, you don't have to have, be dining at the at the restaurant in order to go to the bar. It's actually one of the few, if only, especially restaurants that has a bar in which you can go to and enjoy the uh, the beverages served there. And what's nice about the beverages over there is that a, first of all, they have a special menu. So you get there's I think it's whatever you want. Obviously, if you want to. You know, Bloody Mary, you can get that there, or a beer. But they also have their own special cocktail menu, which is quite creative. And number two, most people don't go there for just the bar. So usually the bar is pretty empty, and it's a great spot. Certainly a beautiful location, and and I, I like everything Lisa said. That's a great tip. Uh, Lisa was talking about, you know, the free diamond drinks. Being a diamond member, you get three free per evening, uh, and you can use there. Of course, if you're on the drink package or just want to pay cash for your drinks, you can do the same thing. It's not to say you can't go there, uh, you know, but that's a really good tip. If uh, you were looking for something a little bit different, you have that option available to you. Next up, we have an email from Brad Hall who writes, Matt, I want to start by thanking you with all my heart for the work you do. I've listened to almost every episode, some several times. I know this will be very long, and if you fall asleep and don't respond, I don't blame you. I must admit you converted me to Royal Caribbean from Disney before I ever stepped on board the ship. I went on Independence of the Seas and had a very mixed experience. I wanted to write after hearing episode 244 because your guest summed up my first Royal Caribbean experience perfectly. Death by a thousand cuts. I also completely understood the feeling of being nickel and dimed, but I don't think it was more than the feeling when considering, quote, did I get my value for the money, end quote. On Disney, even though more they're more expensive, I felt like a king, and it seemed as though my happiness was all that mattered. But leaving Royal Caribbean, I really had to wonder if I got my money's worth out of it. My purpose for this email is not to complain, but I hope to get some perspective, because I really want to love Royal Caribbean. As you pointed out, the cost difference between for my family switching to Royal could mean a trip annually or every other, where Disney's prices means we're going every three or four, uh, three or more years. Nets of 244, it was stated that Royal Caribbean is not as streamlined as others, as each ship staff have more control over what rules apply. I'm also wondering if my experience was bad luck over and over, and possibly related to issues with the independence of the seas, issues related to prepping for dry dock, or am I just being silly? I really hope to get your honest opinion. I will try to do a quick rundown of positives and negatives. Again, no one issue was a major concern, but they really added up over the course of the cruise. Embarkation was great. Showed up at about 10.15 a.m. and was on the ship by 10.45. Got into the room by 1 and we had the non-alcoholic drink package, but no cups waiting, so we had to go to guest services. Also requested a crib. Uh, called to confirm. Got got to the room and no crib. No nap for the little ones because this, uh, but talked to the cabin steward and got it for bedtime. We bought the arcade credit in advance and the credits were not on the card. Went to guest services and they said I had to go to the arcade and went to the arcade and was told I needed to go to guest services. Four minutes later, guest services put the money on the card. Main dining room food was better than Disney, in my opinion. Issue of the main dining was the assistant waiter. I was not comfortable complaining, but after after two terrible dinners, I finally had to ask to keep him away from us. It was so bad, we skipped the main dining room for days 
three and four, and I was loving the food just because of him. He kept arguing with us and charging for soda. We had the package and asked for ketchup and got it served with dessert, didn't get any drinks, etc. Never did uh, take charges off, so I had to go to guest services. Couple at the table with us asked for a wine or red and a white. He brought two reds and then said they got they they said it was wrong when they brought the two whites. Then came back and took them all away. It was a mess. Even with the drink package, my, my wife uh, to the room went to get services three times to fix. We went to Chops Grill on day one and asked to see the lunch menu as it was only dinner menus were posted. Two different staff members told us it was the same menu. They seemed odd. This seemed odd to us, but they should know, right? Well, we paid a little more in a, we got, well, we paid to get little one nursery uh, dress up to go to lunch and find a very small menu. We asked to pay for dinner price and for the expanded menu that, and they wouldn't allow that. So we all had to get dressed up to go nowhere. Leaving the ship for port day, they were handing out water and they charged. So apparently this policy, but in mine, I had paid for water as part of my package. Now, Brad actually goes on a little bit longer to talk about some of the other issues he ran into. And I pretty much understand where he's going with this. And I'm glad he brought it up, actually, Brad, because this is an important topic. And, of course, this is goes to a couple different things. Number one, I think a lot of the issues you ran into are what I would consider to be outliers. Like, I've never run into the problem. Some of the problems I have experienced. The crib in the room, I think, <laughs> seven out of ten times never actually showed up in the room. And I, as a parent, know exactly what you're talking about with the issue with your kid not being able to sleep, take a nap on embarkation day. Being, skipping naps in general is never a good idea, even if you're talking about myself here. And a lot of the other issues were things that were easily uh, wrapped up. Your assistant waiter was by far an outlier. I mean, I've had, you know, I've, ha- I've had favorite waiters before and maybe not so favorite, but no one's gotten to that point of just, you know, really, really bad. Here's what I would tell you to do. And maybe this is just because obviously we, we're, we've gone to Royal Caribbean so often we kind of know the ins and outs of it. I feel like uh, if you're someone who's been to Disney World a lot, you, you learn these tendencies as well. Whereas, you know, as you become more experienced, you learn, first of all, you know to avoid certain pitfalls so they don't become pitfalls in the first place. And second of all, you have a good sense of what to do when you do run into a problem and how to take care of it. Um, when we're talking about the issues you ran into on board the ship, there's no, A, there's no excuse for it. It shouldn't happen. I think almost every situation you ran into should not have occurred. But they did occur, and it doesn't leave a good taste in your mouth. And I certainly understand that. And, you know, it's not all bad. Like you said, nothing was, like, egregious. Nothing was, like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is the worst vacation ever. It just it just annoyed you, right? And over a while, it's going to annoy you. That's, I, I get that. There are some things that, you know, if, if it were, I'm trying to imagine if I was in your situation what I would have done. But, of course, I would have known, like, A, a couple of the policies, right? If you have the non-alcoholic drink package, yes, you do get bottled water. Now, it's not to say that you get the all the bottles of water per se. You may have to go to the bar and grab one. I'm not sure. Actually, I've never actually had the non-alcoholic drink package. I've only had the, the deluxe one, which is everything. But it should be included. And if there's ever an issue with that, you know, you they should be able to run that by. And, you know, but if, if I ever run into situations where a crew member doesn't know and I know that they're wrong kind of situation, I just usually go around to some other crew member, right? A different bar, a different scenario. Just to, it's not worth my effort trying to explain to them that they're wrong and I'm right. Certainly, it doesn't happen that often. I mean, I'm trying to remember a time in which they said, you know, when I had a drink package and they didn't know that I had. The only thing I can think of is that you didn't have the sticker on your card. Again, not an excuse. They should know better. But I'm just surprised that you ran into issues with, like, you know, the water being included uh, or the fact that, you know, um, you know the, the cups weren't in your room. Uh, certainly, that should be a pretty big one, especially if you bought it before the cruise. Your sailor attendant should be able to take care of that quite quickly, unless you really need a drink, then obviously you go to guest services, and they should be able to take care of it. Um, 
it's here's what I'll tell you, Brad. And my honest opinion is, it stinks what happened. I think what happened to you though is still an outlier situation. And I still think, regardless of all that, again, if you were to say, "Well, I'm not going to cruise on Royal Caribbean. I'm going to go back to Disney." Okay, you're going to solve one problem, but you're going to create a massive problem in a price. And I just don't, at the end of the day, I just don't know how you justify Disney's pricing. It's not to say that Disney's pricing is, you know, a couple hundred dollars more, maybe even a thousand dollars more. These We're talking about thousands, plural, more. And I don't care how many times I screw up my drink package or or the crib isn't there. Like, that's just not worth it to me. It's, it's not, you know? And it sounds like in almost every situation you were able to rectify it, right? I mean, the, the assistant waiter... I would have I would have spoken to the head waiter almost immediately about that. Certainly, when you're when they're bringing you consistently wrong food or really late. I mean, there's no excuse for that. This is you know waiter 101 kind of stuff, right? I get they're busy. They're not just waiting on you, but they should be able to you know if you say hey I need some ketchup for this meal you just brought me, it should be coming in a couple minutes, not you know 30 minutes later and it's it's already too late. Um, have I, has that ever happened to me? Probably, uh, I just don't think that. Again, it's not. An, it's an outlier. It's not a common thing. It's not to say that all that is the is the common experience. I think, quite honestly, the wait staff is usually really, really good. In fact, I think I often like the assistant waiter better than the regular waiter because the assistant waiter seems to have, in my experience, has some more personality than the than the regular waiter. But again, talk to your head waiter. Don't be afraid to ask. It, let them know there's a problem. You know, you don't have to be a. Uh, you know, you can, there's a way to do it without being a jerk about it. Also, you don't be like this guy stinks. Be like. Look, you know, can I speak to the head waiter? Head waiter comes over and says, look, I, I don't want to, you know, make a big fuss about it, but we're not really happy with the level of service. Here's the issue. And they should be able to rectify it at that point. You can also feel free, by the way, to ask for a different waiter, a different table. If you're not, if it's not jiving with you, I've seen this happen before, ask to move them. I mean, there's, there's a bit of a personality, you know, component to this, right? And I've generally had pretty good luck with it, but if it's not working for you, you know, go for it. Now, the chops issue was interesting uh, you know, I, I think that in this situation, again, Brad went to go for lunch, and they have a special lunch menu, but they wanted to offer the, order off the dinner menu. I can tell you for a fact that they don't—they're not very flexible in this. Uh, the example is always: I want to grab some. I go to Giovanni's table for dinner, and lasagna is only on the lunch menu, but it's not available on the dinner menu. And I've even asked in advance for it, and not all the times they've—they've they've been able to do it. So it's not to say that they have got the food laying around. They do a lot of pre-prep, and so they can't just whip it out. It's not just the uh, it's not just laying around; they just don't feel like doing it. This is kind of a something Royal Caribbean does, for better or worse. That's kind of thing. And again, now that you know, you know, and you wouldn't necessarily go there again for that, or go, or you know, go for dinner instead of lunch, right? So, you know, I, I, I'm certainly not happy to hear about your experience. And like you said, it wasn't anything egregious; just you know, a bunch of little things. But I think two things are going to be different. Number one, I don't think you're going to run into nearly as many issues, these kind of issues, again. And number two, your experience is going to teach you already on the next cruise how to deal with scenarios like this. And again, my recommendation, this is true for anything. If you run into a scenario in which you're not happy with a service or, or, or something about the service you paid for, talk to somebody about it. And, you know, don't be afraid to go to guest services. Don't be afraid to uh, go to another crew member, you know? And in many cases, that may be just simpler than dealing with a crew member who is misinformed about a particular policy. It's just, it, it might make your life a little bit simpler. They should know about it. There's no doubt in my mind that's the case. But, you know, again, don't feel bad about going over to uh, to uh, discuss it and get some, some better options for you. Uh, voicing your opinion is what I think is the most important thing you can do on a cruise. And the biggest mistake I find that a lot of people do is they suck it all up and then they get off the cruise and then complain about it. 
but which they're not to say they can't complain about it, but but take care of it on board. You know, nip it in the bud as soon as you can because you know uh, it shouldn't happen in the first place. And let them know about these kinds of things. You know, and don't be afraid. It's it's you paid a lot of money for the vacation. You deserve a good vacation. And I don't think you're doing anything wrong, Brad, by you know going up there and, and t- talking to the head waiter, talking to guest service about things you're running into, talking to your stateroom attendant. And if your stateroom attendant, you know the the this the the cup should have been there. Or this and that, you know, let them know. A lot of times, sometimes they don't—they're not aware there's a problem until you tell them. That's a, and then b. Then it's up to them to, to fix it. But I like to think that in in the grand scheme of things, Brad, that it's not going to be nearly like this on, on, on future cruises. And I feel like, you know, you're going to have a better experience. A and B, uh, you know, you're going. This is a learning experience for you. I, not that you needed to have that in the first place, and certainly you shouldn't have run into it in the first place, but I do believe that your next cruise is going to be a whole lot smoother for you, just simply from your first experience on board. So um, I appreciate the email, Brad, because I think there's this is a really good topic to, to talk about and a something that probably is going to help a lot of other folks who may be running into this and maybe be able to avoid some of those other issues that you were talking about. Our next email is from Quentin, who writes, Hey, Matt, I just listened to your episode on booking airfare, and I thought I would get your opinion on using low-cost carriers such as Norwegian Air Shuttle, Wow Air, or Iceland Air, rather than using the main carriers. Thank you, Quentin, for the email. I have not uh, flown on any of those airlines. Those are, these are the European low-fare uh, airlines. These are like the no-frills. The, the equivalent in the United States would probably be Spirit Airlines or Frontier Airlines, where you know you literally pay for every experience. Like, you know... On Spirit, you know, if you want to st- if you want to check luggage, there's a fee for that, and you know all those other things. But the advantage is, of course, is you can get a really cheap airfare. I think, really, Quentin, it's about understanding and having the right expectations, right? You have to know a couple things about the about the flight. Number one, you're going to get charged for every little thing. Number two, you're going to not have a lot of legroom. You're going to, you know, it, it, there's there's trade offs, and as long as you're okay with the trade offs, hey, it's a great idea. Personally, I probably wouldn't do it. I've I've gotten to a point in my life, Quentin, where I'm willing to pay a little bit more for for a little bit more smoother experience, a little more enjoyable experience, to say the least. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with saving money. I don't think you ha- you should go one way or the other purely based on reputation. I think it's just a matter of understanding what it comes with. And certainly here in the United States, when you when you fly an airline like Frontier or Spirit, you have to know the trade offs between that and paying a little bit more to go to either a different airline or just an upgraded seat option, which includes some of those things. And there are plenty of people who swear up and down about, you know, I know Ryanair is, is one of those low-cost carriers in, in Europe that people say it's the greatest option ever, but it's, you know, you have to understand what, who's going on it and what you're looking to get out of it, certainly. So, thank you for the email, Quentin. Next email is from Nick, who writes, Hey, Matt, love the podcast. My family and I, wife and daughters, age two and five, are getting ready to go on our first Royal Caribbean cruise on Liberty of the Seas. We have booked a private excursion to Altanha and Howler Monkey Sanctuary in Belize. Our guide was very adamant that we were that we are on the first tenders to leave the ship to make sure we have enough time for the excursion. How does Royal Caribbean do tenders specifically in Belize? Any tips on how we can be on the first tender? Ooh, Nicholas, that's a good question. So, the uh, typically they run the tenders with prioritizing Royal Caribbean excursions first. Um, I can tell you that when I first went to Belize on Navigator this season 2014, I was in the same situation, Nick. I was I did a private excursion, and I wanted to be on the first tender, primarily because I wanted to avoid a potential line, right, and getting stuck on. Because with the issue with tendering in Belize versus other ports is the ride to shore is a bit longer than other places. It's like in the ballpark of about 20 minutes or so, and so as a result. Lines can back up because obviously there's only a certain amount of tenders, and unlike Grand Cayman or Coco Cay, where you know the ride to shore is just a couple of minutes and then get back pretty quickly, 
that's not the case here. You're talking about, you know, almost uh, an hour round trip. So lines can develop. So obviously if you're booked in a Royal Caribbean excursion, they're going to call you. You go to a loading area and they call you and you're all, and then they, your, your tender is literally waiting for you. That's what we did the last time we were there. We did a Royal Caribbean private tender, had no issues there. Now, when we went on Navigator in 2014, we were doing a private excursion. And what we did, Nick, was we actually went down into the stairwell about, oh, I don't know, 45 minutes or so before the tenders were supposed to begin. And we were probably among the first 30 people or so in line already. And we were able to, by the time the tenders were running, we were like, you know, the line was significantly longer. Now, Royal Caribbean tells you not to do this, not to go wait in, in the stairwells. Inevitably, it still happens. I remember when we were on just now, when we went to Belize earlier this year on Rhapsody of the Seas. And as you know, we went, we did the roll excursion. So we went to the theater and they called our group and we went down with the group. And as we were coming down the, the stairwell, I could see on the left hand side, there were a bunch of guests who were held up uh, on one side waiting to go. Now, I have no idea how long they waited, Nick. I don't know if they waited five minutes or, or an hour. In 2014, when I did this, we were on, I think, the first or second tender, and this worked out pretty well for us, right? Granted, I stood around for 45 minutes in a, in a stairwell, and that's not exactly fun. So, and you got kids two and five, not exactly known for the most patient ages of, of all time, but there's that. Um, the other thing they're going to do, Nick, is they're going to also, uh, they may also offer tickets on board for tendering. My, which basically, these are complimentary tickets in which you go and ask for a tender. Now, there's a couple things you can do. Number one, if you are staying in a suite, I should add, this will bypass the entire system because the suite concierge will actually escort guests on their own, like yourself, on a private tender, and then you don't have to worry waiting in line. Now, that means you have to pay for a suite. <laughs> but hey, if it's not too much more money, or if you're already booking a suite, then you're all that. That's really the simplest, maybe not the most cost-effective, but certainly the simplest approach to doing that. Otherwise, you're you got to get one of the tickets. Uh, I would go to guest relations and you know ask for a lower ticket. You know, to be among the first group there, see what they can do for you. Uh, that might be the, the strategy. Otherwise, you know, really you're going to be staying in a stairwell pretty early and, and hoping for the best there. One way or the other, I think you'll be all set. I mean, here's the bottom line, Nick. It's not as bad as I think it could be. Certainly, you're on Liberty of the Seas, which is a larger ship. Uh, you know, I was on Navigator and Rhapsody, and those are smaller and significantly smaller than Liberty. But I think the key, like so many things in Royal Caribbean, is to be early and you will beat a lot of the crowds. But look for the tendering tickets, especially in Belize. I would be shocked that they didn't offer that while on board the cruise. And if it's not too late, consider booking up to a, or upgrading your, your cabin to a to a suite. That would be a grand suite or above. Junior suites do not apply for this. And maybe that'll give you the option of being able to, you know, uh, get you that, solve that one problem. And hey, splurge a little bit and enjoy it. Uh, you know, the other added benefit I should add, you've got kids two and five, you know, being in the suite, you get priority embarkation and disembarkation in all ports, which is really nice with kids. I got to tell you, having my kids who are uh, roughly around the same age, my kids are three and seven. It is priority embarkation, disembarkation may not sound like a big deal to most people, but when you got kids, it's really nice not waiting in line longer than you have to. <laughs> I'll just add that. Nick, thanks for the email. Thank you to everybody for sending in your emails. Of course, you can always do so by sending me an email to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.